Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Somebody who is a common person who can somehow travel the distance it takes to become the king. Servant to savior. Like that's what we love. We love those kind of stories. I mean, our history is full of them. Even modern day movies. My favorite lines from the movie, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Husband to a slain wife, father to a slain slain son, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And I'm on the couch like, get him, frickin' get him. Just get him. Love it. Braveheart. We love these ideas. These ideas that somebody can come from the commonwealth and move into this place of domination. But what's the path? If you look in the Old Testament, there's several stories like this. The story of Esther, a woman of despised nationality and an orphan, taken in by this guy, and eventually she becomes the queen. If you haven't read the book of Esther, you should read the book of Esther. It's a very good read. The story of Moses. Moses is born a slave. Through a real strange set of circumstances, he moves into a position of power within Egypt. Like in the top three. And then from there becomes this runaway renegade. He's back at the bottom, a shepherd. God shows up, raises him back up to be the leader of the Hebrew people. He goes into Egypt, his own homeland. He and God wreck shop there. He takes his people and moves them out, and he becomes the leader. We love these stories like this. Robin Hood, William Wallace, like these. But what is the path to power? One of my favorite ascent stories is David. Shepherd. Just a little cutie pie. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you go to the Middle East, the job of being a shepherd, that is left to anybody. Anybody. If you go there today, seven Eight-year-old little girls are shepherds. David is a shepherd. Oh, so cute. And then somehow, he's called in from the pastures, and there's a prophet at the house. The prophet has been asking this man, I need to see your sons. God sent me to your house. I need to see your sons. And the sons come walking by, and the big brawny one comes walking by, and the prophet is like, this has got to be the king. And God goes, it's not him. It's like, but he's so big, you know? Moves him on down the line, just goes on through. God says no to all of them. And the prophet's confused. And maybe, maybe I heard the Lord wrong. I don't know. Is this all your sons? Well, <laughs> it's all my sons of worth that you would be interested in. 
the prophet says, look, I've been working with the Lord a long time, and there's a lot of stuff you just can't count out. Like, he just, he's strange. Send in this other one. He comes running in from the field, slingshot in his pocket, just this look on his face, like, yeah, Dad, hey, what's up? And the prophet's like, surely not. And the Lord goes, that's him. And the prophet's like, come on, man. For real? He's like, don't you like him? Prophet's like, come in. He's, looks like he could skateboard good, you know? But I don't know that he's king. And the Lord said, that's my guy right there. That's my guy. Okay. <laughs> All right. He goes and he pours oil on this little guy's head and he goes, listen, you're going to be the king. I know you're the smallest in your family, but you're going to be the most powerful man in the land. And the kid is like, okay, cool. And everybody else is like, what in the world is this? You don't even care. It's like, awesome. Do you want me to go back out to the sheep? Okay, I'm on my way. And off he goes. And the whole world is just kind of like, really? All of, the, all of the Israelites, their fate is resting on him. Really? And then something happens. He gets sent off on this mission. David, come in from the fields. Your brothers are off to war. Okay. I want you to take this beef jerky and cheese wheels to them. They're on the front lines. Okay. Goes. He gets there. Lo and behold, his brother's on the front line. He looks up. Here comes this massive giant coming straight at him. And David's like, I'm going to get to see a fight. Like, this is cool. Looks at his brothers. He says, you going to get that guy? God, I'm so glad I'm here. You going to get that guy? And his brother's like, shut your face. <laughs> shut up. What, what do you mean shut up? Like, like, we're on God's side. Like, we're on God's team. Well, let's get this guy. You're going to get him? Get him. I know I'm too little, but you can get him, you know? He's like, you will shut your stupid face up now. Shut up. What in the world? He asked some other guys, you guys going to go get him? His brother comes back over. Hey, shut up. Don't even talk to them. You know what? This is ridiculous. You're a bunch of pansies. All of you. All of you. All of you. Fighting myself tracks his way out there with his little Red Ryder BB gun. You know? It's a little one-pumper. You know? Now you're going to get it, mister. <laughs> this giant's looking at him like, oh, good, good. I hadn't killed a kid all day long. So, you know, it's probably about that time. All of Israel is in shocked and stunned amazement. As this giant falls down, this little bitty guy runs out there, pulls the massive sword out of the scabbard of the giant, kicks it up over his head, he's balancing it, goes over there, it's too big for him, and he drops it like thunder on the neck of this giant, decapitates him, picks up the head, and says, well, what... What are we supposed to do now? Israel goes bananas and they chase him out there. The king at the time, Saul, says, I need to talk to that guy. If you read the passage, this is what it says. David approached the king, stood in front of the king, still with the head of the giant in his hand. Imagine that. 
Take the cutest little guy we got in children's church downstairs. <laughs> Just take the, I don't know. Maybe he's a fifth grader. I don't know. Take somebody from our youth group, little skinny guy. You know those little guys. Standing there with a the human head, a massive human head, just dripping blood all over the royal linoleum, you know? Just standing there. Like, so what happened out there? And he's like, well, I don't know. It's a bad deal, you know? Guy was just talking, talking. Nobody talks bad about God like that. I didn't like it. So I went after him. Wow. You follow David's life all the way through there. He becomes a servant to the king. He's a servant for his father, but he becomes a servant for the king from the pastures to the palace. And then from there he moves and he becomes a warrior. Not just a warrior, then he's made like commander. With every single battle he wins, his greatness grows. People sing songs about him. They love him. They think he's the greatest thing in the world. With him in the military, this is the most stable time we've ever known. David leads us. He leads us in battle. But you should have seen him when he was just a kid. Just a little bitty, sawed-off little guy. Look at him now. But the inevitable happens. You know this because you have relationships with other human beings. The inevitable always happens. If you make a move in your life, a job, promotion, notoriety, if you get bumped up in front of somebody else, the inevitable happens, doesn't it? Somebody sings your praises just a little too loud. You get a new car. You know, those things that happen. And all of a sudden, somebody goes, look at that guy. Thinks he's so good. Whoa. Jealousy. It's inevitable. You cannot rise without jealousy. You can't. Like, it's just a part of the system. It's a part of human nature. You look at somebody who gets and, 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 and grows, who moves forward in some way, betters themselves somehow. Some of you have experienced this. You stopped doing the things you used to do and you decided you wanted to better yourself and your friends were all like, oh, I forgot. Oh, now you're all holy. Oh, I forgot you're a health nut. Oh, I forgot. Sorry. People get a little jealous. With every single battle that David would win, Saul's jealousy and fear would increase. Before too long, he shows up, and there are wanted posters all over the town. Traitor to the king. Wanted. Dead or alive. David. His picture. Plastered in red paint. Wanted. Dead or alive. Now he's on the run. He was a servant to the king. He's on the run. There's this moment to where he takes off and he's trying to get away from King Saul. King Saul has stopped fighting all the enemies around him and just started fighting his own guy, chasing his own guy. He's no longer concerned about what's going on anywhere uh, in the country. All he cares about is where is David? I want to kill David. David just keeps running. See, the rise to power, it's not so much 
that it doesn't happen because of lack of opportunity. The rise to power doesn't happen because of what you have to do to get there. You see, all of us have an opportunity to rise to power on some level, overcome our addiction, overcome our, 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 uh, our shame, our guilt, our sin, our greed, our gossip. We all have the ability to overcome the thing that's there. The question is, will we? How do we? What's the path to overcoming these things? It's so interesting because that story of David, him running and hiding from King Saul, happens in two verses. 1 Samuel 22. Let me read it to you. 1 Samuel 22. David left Gath, escaped to the cave of Adullam, when his brothers and fathers and his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Verse 1, verse 2. All those who were in distress, in debt, or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. A little side note. Just a little side note. Do you want to know? You want to know if you're, if you're a true leader? Want to know if you're a true leader? If even in your own suffering, you find people to care for? Fair enough? It's not just when we've got our stuff together. Even when we are struggling through it, we begin to grab people along on the side, those who are in debt, who are discontented, who are broke down. We grab those people and we pull them in beside us. That's how we know. That's how you know if you're doing it. These two hurried verses. David was on the run. He hid in the king. He, I mean, he hid in the cave from the king. And then this little break between and then the next part is, and everybody who came to him, he took care of and became their commander. David is the commander of a runaway army full of people who were broken, dis despicable. They're in debt. And he becomes their leader. I have to think to myself in those moments, does he look back on that moment when he met the prophet? Wouldn't you? God promised you something so long ago. Promised you. You are the smallest in all of your, in all of your family, but you're going to be the greatest in the country. Okay. Well, I think maybe God got it backwards. I was the smallest in my family, and now everybody in my country wants to kill me. Now I am most despised in all the country. The people are divided because the loyalties have to run to the throne for protection. Other people love David, but you can't love David out loud. You know? Can't love David out loud. You love David out loud, that's a problem. Between those two verses, what are David's thoughts? It's so cool because the Bible gives us exactly what's going on. David is hiding in a cave and somewhere in this cave, between verse 1 of chapter 22, 1 Samuel, and verse 2, David has words that he speaks to God. You know what I wish sometimes? I wish sometimes I could understand or hear the thoughts of some of the characters in Scripture. Like, what was really going on in their mind at this time? Jesus walks on the water towards the boat. I wanted to know what, I wanted to know what all 12 disciples were thinking. And maybe there's a reason they don't share that information. You know, like, holy, you know? 
Maybe we just know that's not the data we need. But I'm curious. Like, what? What happens? What are the thoughts? Pretty cool. But we have David's. Psalm 57. In fact, let me read you. Psalm 57. It starts off, For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, a miktam, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. These are David's thoughts, David's prayers while he's in this cave, hiding from the king. He takes time to pin his thoughts and put them down. Verse 1. Have mercy on me. Oh God, have mercy on me. For in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose in me. Here's what I really like about those first two passages. It's what we see. If David is going to map out for us the path to power, what do you do? What if the path to power is waiting? So how do I overcome my sin? Wait. How do I better my relationship with my spouse? Wait. Yeah, but that really goes against everything in my person. You? Me and my wife get in a squabble, in an argument. She makes me mad. I make her mad. You know what neither one of us do very well? You know what? We ought to cool down. Just take a little time. Let's just wait. When we both calm down, we've said our prayers, let's rejoin the conversation and then we'll discuss it. We don't do that very good. You know what we do? Not that. That's what we do. Are you kidding me? Are you? So you're saying, are you kidding me? Have I ever done? Would I do that to you? This is the way the conversations go. What if the path to power and getting a better marriage is... Time out. Wait. Let's not talk. We love each other, right? We're on the same team. Yes, we are. Mad. Mad. Of course you're mad. I'm mad. But let's, let's turn this down a notch. Then we'll come back. What if it's waiting? Well, that begs the question, what do you do while you wait? You just sit around and wait? I need to tell you this. I don't want to. It's a confession. It's a confession. I don't want to tell you this. We got in a hook not too long ago, her and I. And it was resolved. It was resolved. Simple. But, I don't know if you know this or not, in my relationship with Katie and I, she is the, she is the guy. <laughs> Emotionally speaking, she's the guy. And I am the female. It is very, very rare that she says, you really hurt my feelings, but it's quite often I say it, you know? It hurts my feelings, you know? And we got in this uh, argument, and she hurt my feelings. And the next day, she greeted me. And we had apologized. It only lasted a second. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. It's fine. I forgive you. But you know how sometimes that other version of you begins to kind of question what's going on? You know that prideful, pompous version of you sneaks in? Says a psst. What? It was a bad deal yesterday, wasn't it? I'm like, God, it's it's fine. 
We worked it out. I said, yeah, but it wasn't very nice of her. Hey, hey, hey. I know. But we apologized. It's good. We worked it out. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, I mean, I agree with you, I agree with you, you did, yeah, you, you worked it out, but I'm just saying, like, you should be proud of yourself, like, you did everything right. He's got a point. <laughs> I did. Yeah, she was out of bounds. She was a little out of bounds. That's the problem, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have engaged with that guy, because he's got good ideas, and you th he thinks, I think he's right, you know? I woke up that morning, go to the gym and do my stuff and walk through the house. She wakes up and she sees me coming through and she greets me. This is what she says. Hello, friend. That guy says, friend. I was like, <laughs> shouldn't have listened, shouldn't. Hey. She said, hey, come here, let me talk to you. <sighs> like, dude, don't let her suck you in. Don't. Like, she burned you yesterday. Don't. Don't let her suck you in. <sighs> She's like, come here, let me talk. Dude, don't go over there. <sighs> dude, don't go. Babe, come here. <sighs> what's up? What's, what's up? Are we good? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're good. We're good. We're good. This guy's an idiot. We're good. We're good. They leave the house. He starts in again. Hey, can you believe that? <sighs> I know. She said, good morning, friend. Friend! After that, after yesterday's deal, friend? Like, I do just leave. This conversation goes on for a while. Until I scream out loud in my own house. Yo, dude, shut up! To which at that point I was like, you need help. <laughs> like, you, you kind of got to get this under control. I was like, dude, you need it. Like, stop. Stop. And I begin to have conversation with this other part of me that's really amping me up. I don't know if you remember this verse, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, this one with the brass knuckles on it. The, ver the word is, I beat my body and I make it a slave. The word, the Greek word is, I black my own eye and I put me in shackles. And in that moment, this is the picture that popped into my head. I was like, this guy needs dotted. He's got bad plans. He's going to get me all amped up about some stuff. I said, that'll be enough. That'll be enough out of you. Like, you need to dial yourself down there, Jared. Dial yourself. The one time you were right in your marriage, one time. You've been right in your marriage, and you're going to just blow this whole thing to pieces and stand on that one mountain this one time? You are ridiculous. Now, I'll remind you, this is very much the edited version uh, that you're getting. The conversation was a whole lot more coarse. You need to get yourself in check. You are not that cool. You have not done so many things right in this marriage. The, the amount of times you've betrayed her, the amount of times you've manipulated her, the amount of times that you have hurt her, and you're going to stand on this one moment? Ha! That guy's like, whoa, 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 fella, fella, calm down. Nah, I'm done, done. Walked out of a meeting. I mean, I walked out of the house, went to a meeting. 
I sat down in a room across from a guy who had just lost his wife about four months ago. And I had to put in perspective that whole conversation and the events that had played out before it. If the path to power is waiting, what do we do while we wait? Stew. Stew. Just grind the gears. Criminalize somebody else, you know? Can you believe they did this and this? You see, the problem isn't so much that I want to react in violence. It's what's going on inside my gourd is the problem. I'll begin to just criminalize the situation. They always do this. She always does this. He always does this. This is who he is. This is the problem. And then at some point, it's going to come out. You have heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say to you, do not hate your brother. What do we do while we wait? Here's David's advice, Psalm 57, verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me. I cry out to my God. I cry out to my God who vindicates me. Do you know what David does in this time? He is suffering, but you know what? He is in the Savior's shadow. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until this disaster has passed. While we are waiting, we typically want to react with chaos rather than reaffirm our own commitments. David says to himself, I will find refuge in God. You ever had those moments to where you have to remind yourself what you really believe? You have to remind yourself. Sometimes you have to have that conversation openly. No, 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 no. Jared, you are a good person. You do things right. This is what you do. You've made commitments to your family. You've made commitments to your friends. You've made commitments to your church. You've made commitments to Jesus. You cannot be a part of the stain that you want to be a part of. No. Dial it down. Reaffirm my commitments. Listen to David's. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. For I take refuge in you. Don't take refuge in your ability to, to control the circumstances. That's a hard one, huh? I'm just going to wait patiently and find a way to manipulate everyone around me. I'm just going to wait patiently and I'm going to find a way to creatively come up on a, a solution and just wear myself out emotionally, be useless to my family and spouse. I'm going to exhaust myself thinking of ways. Whoa, whoa, whoa. David says, I'm just going to reaffirm my commitments. Not react in chaos. I'm just going to refer, reaffirm my commitments. I, this is what Jared does. This is what David does. This is what you do. What do we do as Christians? We find our shelter in the Lord. I find my shelter in the Lord. I find my shelter in the Lord. And sometimes it's just a thing that we just keep telling ourselves. I just need reminded of that. Next thing David does while we wait, we reaffirm our commitments. But here's what else we do. David is stuck. Look at verse 3. He sins from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. He is stuck, but he has a sending Savior. What do you do while you wait? You know what part of waiting when I think of waiting, here's two things that I think of. I think of Amazon, and I think of love letters. Now, some of you who are young enough to 
never have the experience of love letters. Some of you are like, oh, love letters. Like, I remember the days of love letters. Yeah, I remember the days of love letters. I'll tell you what's interesting about love letters, and I get to see love letters on a couple different levels because I'm a dad of girls, right? So I remember love letters when I was little, but I have in my lifetime and in theirs have seen love letters show up at our mailbox. And you know what else I've seen? I've also seen this. Is that the mailman? My little ones? Is that the mailman? Oh, are we waiting on a letter? No, it's just, no, no. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe. Waiting on a love letter? But do you remember the pressure of a love letter? Do you remember the pressure? Maybe you don't get one. You sent one, but maybe you didn't get one. Like all your self-worth kind of goes on hold for a minute, you know? All your value is on hold, like... Am I worth it? Not worth it? Waiting on the postal service to tell me if I'm a decent person? That's the thing? And it's on hold, and then it, the letter comes. <sighs> I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. Amazon must have gone through that. You know? Amazon must have gone through that whole weighty process of, being unsure. Because you know what Amazon will do? If you contact them and you say, hey, would you be so kind to send me something? Amazon will say, absolutely, we'll send it to you. And you don't even have to wonder because you know what will happen? A couple days, you'll get a little email or a text. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey, Amazon. Just want to let you know, we shipped your package. You shipped it? We shipped it. We didn't want you to worry. While you're waiting, don't worry. Like, it's okay. Oh, gee, thanks, Amazon. You're so nice and thoughtful. Like, we know the feeling, Jared. We know what it's like to wait. Love, Amazon. <laughs> that Amazon. They care about us, you know? Just letting me know, like, hey, it's coming. It's not just going to show up. They're going to tell me it's on its way. Well, that's kind of nice. Listen to what David says. Verse 3, he sins from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. Here's what David would say. I am stuck, stuck in this cave, stuck in this pattern of waiting. But here's what I know and here's what I do. Not only am I reaffirming my commitments, but I'm going to talk a little bit about my own faith, who God is. I have a sending Savior. I have a sending Savior. He's not going to leave me hung up. He never has, has he? You could argue this if you want. Oh, God's deserted me before. Oh, really? How'd you get here? We've talked about this before. What are you doing here? Oh, your life is so terrible. You got up early, got dressed, and came here? Not that bad, really. You're, you're okay. How did you get here? Because you have a sending Savior. Yes, you're stuck, but you have a sending Savior. You don't mind me being a little corny. Sometimes what we have to do is we have to reflect on our purchase history. You know, is Amazon going to send it? Well, have they ever failed you? <laughs> no. No, they haven't. What about God? What about his purchase history? You were bought with a price. Think he's just going to leave you hung up out there? He bought you. 
He took his very own son and put him on a cross for you. You think he's going to leave you stranded? I doubt it. I doubt it. He loves you. We have a sending Savior. David says, while you wait, reflect on the fact that you have a sending Savior. Here's the next thing he says, verses 4 through 6. In the midst of lions, I love this verse, I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. David is set up and he is surrounded. The enemy has moved in closer and he can see the details, the whites in their eyes, the glimmer from the swords. He can see the arrows. They are right on top of him. Have you been there? Where it's just, you are almost crushed. It's that hide and seek thing, you know? That hide-and-seek in the dark, I don't know how long it's been since you played hide-and-seek in the dark, but you can hear the footsteps, and you are hiding, and they are right on top of you, but they still haven't touched you yet, and you're holding your breath, trying not to both pass out or squeal, getting closer and closer, and they're right on top of you. David is in this cave, and the enemy, Saul, all his delinquent Military officials following him around right on top of him. What does David say? Oh, I am set up and surrounded. I am. Set up and surrounded. But here's one thing I'm sure of, and that is my status. Imagine it like this. David, aren't you scared? Sure, I'm scared. David, aren't you worried? Maybe a little worried? David, they're getting closer. I know. David, you're surrounded. They're right on top of you. Why are you not panicking? Why are you not panicking right now? David says, because they are all around me. But look at verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. Oh, sure, sure, there's, they've surrounded me. You think I'm the one that's surrounded. I'm not surrounded. They are. They're surrounded. Be exalted, O oh God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. David, in his moment of waiting, reflects on the fact that God is bigger than these circumstances. I am set up and I am surrounded, but my God is far superior to these situations. Am I in trouble? No. I'll tell you what I am. I am in the best seat in the house to watch how God is going to save us. Oh, it looks surrounded. It feels surrounded, doesn't it? Like it could all fall apart now. And David says... No, I'm just going to watch. Don't cover your eyes. Don't close your eyes. Don't run away. Stay right there. Because the seat that you're in right now, like you get to sit in the very best seat to watch how God is going to save the situation. Open your eyes wide. Watch this thing happen. What do we do while we wait? That's what we do. Reform our commitments. We reflect on God's faithfulness. And we sit back and we remember that he has always looked after us. 
we're reminded of our status. Like we are a big deal in heaven. I read a line a couple of weeks ago that's just really stuck with me. I want to share it with you. If you want to know how big you are and how small you are at the same time, let me explain it this way. You are so small that the smallest temptation can come along and take you off course. That's how small you are, right? All of us can say the same thing. Like, no, I'm solid, I'm good, I'm this. And then something can come along, whatever that thing is, and all of a sudden you are completely off course. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's lust, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, whatever it is. It, the smallest thing, your temptation, whatever that deal is, your proclivity, you can go off course. That's how small you are. You can be blown off course so easily. Do you want to know how big you are? That nothing you chase can satisfy you. Because God made you with a certain capacity that only wants to be with him. And you are such a big deal that nothing you find here is ever going to satisfy you how small you are and that's how big you are what is our status as believers if you've given your life to Jesus Christ you are a baptized believer let me tell you what your status is book of Romans verse 17 now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God And co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Do you know what that means? Brothers of Jesus, sister of Jesus. That's how God sees us. We don't doubt his love for us. We are heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ. That is our status. He has not forgotten you. He will not forget you. If you want the path to power, you want that, that road to royalty, then it's wait. And while you wait, this is what we do, like King David. This is what we do. We are reminded of our status.